Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. We have got a great show today in store for us. Ellen Tad is an internationally known clairvoyant counselor, educator, and author. She's been teaching and counseling for more than 40 years. She is widely respected for the integrity of her work, the accuracy of her perceptions and guidance, and the clarity and usefulness of her teaching. She's an interesting story. You know, we all go to college and have that college experience. Well, she went to college and shortly after completing her freshman year, she had a remarkable experience in which she was able to contact her deceased mother. Her mother's presence and message healed Ellen's childhood trauma. She denied her clairvoyancy and it really transformed her view of the world. I wish college would have done that for me, but Very soon after this awakening, she began to have contact with guides and teachers from spiritual realms who provided her with extraordinary education. She's written three books. The last book, The Infinite View, was released in 2017. She's also written The Wisdom of the Chakras and Death and Letting Go, which appeared on Boston Globe bestseller list. A very well-written lady. Thank you so much, Ellen, for being with us. Well, I'm so happy to be with you. Thank you for inviting me. You know, I found it so interesting, and I was kind of joke, side-joking about the college experience, but your college experience really rerouted you and sent you in a very different direction. Yes. Well, I actually grew up in an academic family. My father was a professor, and I, I grew up in a five-college community. So when I went to college, I thought I was going to find the answers to my deepest questions. <laughs> and I was struggling. I, I felt, um, dissatisfied. And when I had the experience of my mother coming back and talking to me after she died, everything changed because I had grown up with my mother not healthy. She had an extreme case of MS, Mm -hmm. and I watched her suffer. And I was always philosophical. I wanted to understand why. Why is it that one person is sick and one person is well and one person is rich and one person is poor? And I was always looking for answers. And... When my mother came back and talked to me, she said, do not mourn for me, for I chose what I endured to learn compassion for those who suffer. And she said, no matter how things appear, on the surface, there are reasons. And it was like a veil was lifted. And I always say my mother gave me birth and my mother gave me rebirth. That is very interesting. How did you react to that? I mean, being that young. Well, so I was 19 and well, it, it brought up so many feelings. Um, just like in birth, you're, you're a baby and you have so much to learn. (laughs) 
I was a new baby. <laughs> I had so much to learn. Um, and at first I felt somewhat frightened. Oh my goodness, they're spirits. You know, I grew up with my father who's a physicist. I was raised with no organized religion. I didn't know what I believed in. And so even the idea of life after death to me was a question mark. So here was an experience that opened me to believe that there was life after death, which then opened me to ask a lot of other questions. And when I first had that experience, I thought, oh, no, everything I think and everything I feel is known. And I felt embarrassed and ashamed and realized that everything I had done that wasn't quite right, I was caught for. <laughs> but then it became my liberation. And I realized that all I had to do was be genuine. All I had to do was be myself and that that was the best way to be. So it took you a couple of years to kind of grow into that, I would assume? Absolutely. But because it was like a veil was lifted, I started to have more experiences. I started to have conscious out-of-body experiences. I started being able to see and converse with beings in the spiritual world. And it was really an education. I, I really feel that I was very educated, but in a very unusual way. And because of this scientific household I came out of, I approached these experiences in very methodical ways. I categorized them. I analyzed them because I wanted to, I wanted to bring credibility to what was happening to me. And so I, I became a student of metaphysics through my own direct experiences. How did your father respond to that? Well, at the very beginning, he wondered about my mental health, <laughs> which you can imagine, right? Absolutely. <laughs> um, but as time went on, he saw that my life became more and more together because of the experiences that I was having. And I taught him to meditate, and he had his own experiences, and he said, there's a whole world I know nothing about. So he opened. So is that the first step? For people that want to learn more about that world is a first step through meditation. Well, for me, it happened in a fast and furious way. But I have taught now large numbers of people how to live what I call a multidimensional life where they experience themselves as human, but they also know that they're spirit and they can access some of the spiritual world, which is a tremendous support while we're human. So when you say spirit, do you mean the God force? Well, for me, 
it is the God force. I often say that, that it's the good force and that someone dropped an O (laughs) (laughs) and that God in good, it's a force of life. It's the positive creative force that generates life. And this force holds life together. It exists in every individual, no matter how terrible their behavior is. And it's omnipresent. It's everywhere and in everything. And it's conscious and it's communicating in many, many different forms. So when I teach my courses and the infinite view is in part um, my story, but it's also this beginning course that I taught for many years. And the first lesson in the course is I am spirit, everyone is spirit. And what people learn is that what you focus on is what you see. Which is why our cultural conditioning is so powerful. Because as little children, we're taught how to focus. We're taught how to see. And that affects our understanding. But as you expand it and affirm that I am spirit and everyone is spirit, people start to see deeper than just appearances. And the other part of that is meditation because meditation for me is going in the closet and closing the door. It's a very deep stillness that takes us inside ourselves or that can take us into that expansive oneness and it gives us perspective that goes beyond cultural conditioning. So for me, meditation is a, is a way to reflect inward and to just calm my brain, calm my body, just calm everything down and just let it be. But what I hear you say is you're take, you take it a step further and you take it as a way to connect with different spirits that are out there. Connect to the spirit within and the spirit without? Absolutely. So I make a distinction be what, between what I would call a relaxation exercise, which is a form. I mean, meditation means different things to different people. It's become very popular term, but it's not used identically. When I teach meditation, I teach it like an X. And the bottom part of the X is everyday thought. And the point in the center is stillness. And the upper part of the X is connection. It's revelation. It's vision. It's a sense of connectedness. It's a profound level of experiencing life. So I meditate for access to this deeper sense of meaning. But in order to get there, you have to go through the relaxation step first. 
And the way that I teach it is the concept of opening the crown chakra. I don't know if your listening audience is familiar with the term chakra, but it means wheel in Sanskrit. And in the energy body, there's seven fundamental chakras. And the one at the top of the head, which is depicted in religious pictures as the golden halo, this is the crown chakra. And what opens it is devotion and trust and inspiration. And when that center's opened, it becomes much easier to meditate. When it's closed, being able to meditate is a struggle. So what opens it, the easiest for the most number of people, is inspiration. Focusing on something that inspires you, that uplifts you, before you begin the meditation process. So what inspires you? Well, that's a... <laughs> That's a big That's question. The book. <laughs> um, well, um, I'm inspired by nature. I'm inspired by beauty. I'm inspired by learning. I'm inspired by connecting deeply with others. There are many things that inspire me. And what I find is not only is inspiration a key for a powerful meditation, it's also a key for happiness. Because I call the crown chakra the key to happiness chakra. When it's closed, it's depression. And when it's opened, it's expansion. So understanding what opens our crown chakra is one of the keys to having a happy life. So I guess in your book, The Wisdom of the Chakras, you kind of go into what each chakra, how it impacts you and in your daily life? Yes, I do. Um, so it's a small book, and I think of it as a tool book. Some people I've heard even carry it in their purse because it's so practical. But it came from many years of my observing people's energy clairvoyantly. And I was able to see that when people make good decisions, their third eye focus in the middle of their forehead is opened. When people are uh, disciplined, their base chakra is strong. When people are in emotional turmoil, their solar plexus is dominant and not well aligned with the other centers. So in this book, I explain what keeps them healthy and what causes them to cause problems in our lives. So when we're born, are our chakras in alignment? And then is it life experiences that get them out of alignment? No, they're not. We're not born with them in alignment. Because, for example, 
babies are born with big heads. That is a reflection of the fact that babies are born with wide open crown chakras. They trust. They're inspired. They're spiritually connected. But they don't make good decisions. A little child could go home with a stranger. Because the third eye isn't yet activated. And they have no discipline. Because the base chakra is weak. So when babies are born, they're born with crown chakra dominance. Because they have just come from the spiritual world. Interesting. And then is it through the nourishing and the love that the other chakras begin to open? Or is it from a developmental standpoint as the body develops and it has a greater equal size? Well, it's complex, actually. And I'm writing my newest book called A Framework for Wise Education, which is all about how my understanding of the chakras applies to children and human development and education. And each chakra develops differently. And each center can become diminished or dominant depending on certain patterns and circumstances. So it's, it's, you know, I think one of the things that I gained from my father is this desire for accuracy. And I can't make broad generalizations because it's kind of like anatomy and physiology. Our heart doesn't work like our lungs and our lungs don't work like our stomach, but they all work in concert together to create a healthy body. And when the chakras work well in concert, they create a healthy life. So when you talk about the chakras, it makes me think about, you know, the the mind-body connection. Because we know that during meditation, research shows actually physiological changes do occur. Absolutely. Yes, I know Herbert Benson well, who who wrote the relaxation response, and it was because he brought meditators into the laboratory at Harvard Medical School and began to prove to people that there was a mind-body connection. But there is also a body-mind connection. Someone can get the flu, and that state of feeling bad can bring on anxiety. So it goes both ways. There's a mind-body connection and a body-mind connection. So it's important to respect both. And um, it's certainly part of the equation. But I think of all the seven chakras as a kind of checklist for well-being. And so they're the, the fundamental categories, although they're more complex than this, um, is inspiration, focus and concentration, self-esteem, love, emotional well-being, 
this next chakra is really complicated. Creativity, relationships, persona in the world, and then the base, which is discipline and work. So when all of those are working together, then healthy relationships, the ability to feel inspiration, but also actualize. The base chakra has to do with manifestation and actualizing. You know, the idea that inspiration can come in a flash, but to manifest it, now that's hard work. Well, you know, you mentioned self-esteem, and that, to me, self-confidence is where I see people, when things are great, when life is great, we our self-esteem and our self-confidence is okay. But when things aren't, and with everything that we've had going on in our environment in the last six months, things aren't great for a lot of people, and their self-confidence just goes to the bottom. And I've never thought about the self-esteem being part of the chakra system. That's, I mean, I have two graduate degrees and I've never had a class in self-confidence or self-esteem. And I see it as such a lacking in so many people. Well, my perception is that what causes low self-esteem in the masses and my guides and teachers in the spiritual world say, that low self-esteem is the number one disease in your culture is because of our educational system. And it's one of the reasons I want to write a framework for wise education because I think our educational system needs a reframing. And what happens is what what weakens the throat chakra, which is the center of self-esteem, is when you don't realize mistakes are good and necessary for learning. So when people feel bad about themselves, when they make mistakes, then the throat chakra of self-esteem shrinks. And when that happens, it also comes from the fact that in education we have a competitive model. So people are better than or less than. And people are also perceived as their behavior. One of the fundamental concepts about the throat chakra is that behavior and identity are separate. How we behave is not who we are. It's a stage of awareness or skills at a specific period of time. But that can evolve. So I see the self as constant and good and behavior and skills evolving. Well, you know that I think behavior and identity are very separate. I share that concept with you because negative thoughts create negative behaviors. Negative behaviors create negative feelings. So it all starts, you know, what why we behave certain ways is what we have going on in our brain, what our, our negative thoughts are. That's right. It's the frame of our mind. 
So that's, that is just a different, thank you for offering me a different way to look at self-esteem. And when, it, when you're talking about the throat chakra and, you know, when we do something wrong, we're almost conditioned to feel bad about it. Absolutely. And it's like, you should feel bad. You messed that up. I mean, I, <laughs> instead of, what can I learn from this so that next time I will do it better? When people feel bad because they made a mistake, then a lot of people avoid. They avoid their weaknesses because it makes them feel bad. When in fact our weaknesses are our greatest teachers. I think you make a great point there. And, you know, when we're all afraid, we all are afraid at some point in our life. It's a part of our normal day. But, you know, people, they, they feel like, well, fear is a weakness. If I admit I'm afraid, that's a weakness. And my response, it's not a weakness. It's energy. And you can use that energy to help carry you forward. Yes, it's, it's a, it's a wonderful barometer that tells us that we need change, a change in attitude, a change in circumstance. And so it's a message. I think that we get so worried about getting out of our comfort zone. We know what, you know, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know. And we get stuck. We put ourselves in, in this spot where everything's okay you know it's going just fine it's good now and so we're afraid to change anything and I have to ask myself the question because I've caught myself there before who's hurting who who's who's standing in your way Lee and the answer (laughs) is sometimes well it's Lee (laughs) (laughs) yes I think that um it's it's a really deep and important point you're making that fear isn't bad. It's a necessary part of learning. I cannot imagine if I would have had that concept in my head when I was raising my two boys. Looking back, I certainly encouraged them to take risks and stuff, but, but it's, it's just what's ingrained in our head. It really is. And there's, there's so many mysteries of life and you have touched on many of them in your journals. You've touched on the principle of reincarnation, you know, how generalizations don't serve us all. So I can't wait to learn more about that. And to really, because all of this, we can apply in our daily life. It's just how we, what our attitude is about things, how we perceive things. Um, and I read somewhere that on your site, people either trust their gut or they analyze things. But the way that you look at it is a different approach that uses both the emotions and the intellect. And that's what guides you. And that's where your wisdom come, comes from. And when I read that, I thought, oh, I want some of that. I, I want to, you know, I want to take that approach and I want to be able to apply that and use it all. We'll be back after these messages. Do 
you ever wonder if you're the only woman who runs errands in her yoga pants so it will look like she went to the gym? Or how about the only mom who feeds her kids raw cookie dough? Or are you the only one who cooks her family cold cereal for dinner? Do you need more laughter and less loudness? More self-love and less self-loathing? More joy and less judgment? You're not alone. Come to the living room, a place where we get comfy, candid, and confident together. Come seeking sanctuary and leave feeling renewed. We're saving a seat for you. Give yourself some living room today. just came from Kansas where we celebrated my mother-in-law's 100th birthday. She summed up the event with a big smile as she exclaimed, I made it! According to Pew Research, there are about 7.4 centurions for every 10,000 adults. A super centurion is a person who is 110 or more. The highest life expectancies in the world are found in Monaco, followed by Japan and Singapore. The U.S. is not even in the top 10. If you're an ubermensch, that's a person who is in control of their own destiny, and would like to increase your odds of living longer, you can always move to the town of Atroli on the Mediterranean coast. In this small village south of Naples, Italy, over one-third of the population are over 100 years old. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. back. Now here is your host, Lee Richardson. The mysteries of life, there's so many of them. And, you know, when we're young, I, I can remember being, when I was young, thinking the stars, it was just, how did they get there? Where did they come from? And as we get older, the mysteries become more complex. When you look at your life, Ellen, what is one of the biggest mysteries been? To me, the most interesting question of all that that I want a deeper understanding about is what is destiny and what is choice? Ooh. I believe from my experiences that there is both destiny and choice. If there was just destiny, then all we'd have to do is go for the ride. And if it was just choice, then it would be totally within our control to affect what goes on around us. But from my experience, it's both, which is really interesting and complicated, that some aspects of our life feel beyond our control. They happen to us. In other aspects of life, we can influence or we miss our moment or we grab our moment. And this relationship between the two is, I talk about a concept called attunement, attuning our conscious mind with our spirit to know whether we simply must accept what is as it is or whether we can actually harness our energy and transform the situation. And so 
that process is a very deep process that I am constantly working on. So how do we get attunement? I mean, does it go back to what you were saying about the, the, the spirit, the soul? Well, the two main ways that I practice and teach are deep listening, mm-hmm. which is a meditation, and deep focus. And as I've learned about your work, it reminds me of a phrase from one of my guides, which is focus and concentration is equal to power. When we have the ability to focus deeply, then many positive things happen. An ability to discern wisely, an ability to absorb knowledge, an ability to actualize one's best. I think of the zone in athletics as being the skill of deep focus. And what I've found is that when I'm able to go into deep focus or facilitate that for others, that there becomes an ability to attune to the spirit and know what to do, (laughs) whether to act or to wait, be patient or, or be impatient. And so it's a, in, in the chakra system, focus and concentration is linked to the third eye, which is right smack in the middle of the forehead. And this center is activated with focus and concentration, and it's also the center of wisdom. So it's interesting because, you know, the work that I do is working with the brain. And I look at the brain, the networks, the hubs in the brain, you know, the power in the brain. Do we have the right amount of slow wave? Do we have the right amount of fast wave? The coherence, is the brain sharing information the right way? Is the timing, the you know, right? Because sometimes the brain can be too fast and sometimes too slow. But when you talk about the third eye, that's that's your prefrontal cortex. That is where everything in the brain happens. That's where you pay attention. That's where you concentrate. That's where working memory is. That's where the ability to stay on task is. So it really makes a lot of sense to me. So from my perception, because I've had out-of-body experiences, I know that my consciousness exists outside the body. Therefore, my consciousness doesn't come from the brain. What I feel is that the brain is the hardware and the mind is the software. So you need the brain to be working well to access the software, just like you need a computer to be working well to access the software. But out of the computer... If it doesn't work, you can go somewhere else to get the software to work. Well, I can't believe that because that is a story. That is a way I've described the brain to clients is think about a computer. You've got your hardware. You've got your infrastructure. And that's the way things are wiring and firing. And then you've got your software. And that's the, that's your mind. But if the hardware is not working, if the brain's not wiring and firing the right way, if it's not sharing the right amount of information, software is not going to work. So exactly. 
I think we come at it exactly the same way. And to me, it's the subconscious that really draws me in. It's in, there's a true fact. Every second, the brain is capable of taking in 11 million bits of data. The most that you can take in on a conscious level is 40 to 126. We don't even have to do the math. We know everything's going to your subconscious. And it just amazes me. Sometimes I'll go to bed thinking, you know, I gotta make a decision about that tomorrow. I'm gonna, I've got to. I'll wake up and that decision is made. Yes. Sometimes, I mean, there are different kinds of dreams. Some dreams are out of body dreams. Some are, um, day residue. But many people get insight in the night when they get their societal conditioning out of the way. So what's an out-of-body experience like? Do you feel yourself? Do you feel your energy rising above the body? Well, we all leave our body unconsciously, like I said, in dream state. But to do it consciously feels like, at least for me, I don't know how other people experience it, it feels like starting to go in a swirl and swirling up and swirling out. And then once the consciousness is out, then there's the ability to communicate in thought and travel in thought. Thought is the mode of communication and transportation in the spiritual world. And so there's a a lightness when we're out of the density of the body. But the spiritual world is like a layer cake. There are many different levels of experience. It's like heaven, hell, and her purgatory, but my experience is there are many more levels than that. And therefore, when people leave their bodies, they don't all go to the same experience. <laughs> and what kind of experience they go to has to do with the frame of their mind. So the manifestation process happens very quickly once a person is out of the density of the body. So once we get out of our own way, we can have greater experiences? Yes, I I think that's true. But, you know, deep meditation is really the way to expand. Uh, I always say that my greatest gift in life has been that I know how not to think. <laughs> That's a great saying. Yes. I, uh, I just know how to go long periods without thinking, which is why meditation wasn't hard for me and also why spiritual beings can talk to me because I'm not thinking. <laughs> but... So spiritual beings, talk to me about that. I've had one experience, and my mom died 
died in my home, which was exactly what I wanted. And because she, she went through some health issues and basically the doctor said, you either go on dialysis or you'll have a couple of weeks to live. And she did not want to go on dialysis. And I said, it's okay, mom, you're going to come home with me. And she said, oh, absolutely not. You have to talk to the boys. I'm like, okay, mom, I'll talk to the boys. And they said the same thing. Of course she's coming home. So she did. And she died in my home. And about two days after I felt her in the middle of the night, rub my shoulder, tap me on the shoulder and tell me it was okay. And thank you for letting mm-hmm. me go. And that's been my only experience. And it was Isn't such that a, wonderful. It was so warm and loving. Mm. And, you know, it's not how I would have thought that type of, I mean, it wasn't scary. It, it wasn't whimsical. It wasn't, it was nothing but warm and loving. Yes. And, well, unfortunately, through movies and media, um, Life after death is often depicted in scary ways, you know. As a child, I slept with my light on because I was always afraid of the boogeyman because I saw things in the dark. But in fact, that what makes the experience what it is, is the quality of the energy. And when the quality of the energy is loving, then it doesn't feel frightening at all. It feels magnificent. So I always say there's many different kinds of dead people as there are alive people. You know, it's <laughs> it, it has to do with what they're emanating. You know, you walk into a room and someone's really angry and you don't even need to talk to them or look at them. It doesn't feel good. Or you walk into a room where there's a lot of love and it feels warm, even if you're not talking to someone. So we're all sensitive to energy and what emanates. And so when there's connection with a spiritual being, it has to do with how they emanate to how it feels. And, you know, when when I first started having these experiences, I had to stop and say, okay, I'm learning that I have a gift. My brother was a musician. He had a musical gift. When I played, it was clear I didn't. (laughs) And so I thought, okay, I've discovered I have a gift. I have a clairvoyance and a clairaudience. And what do I want to do with it? Just like my brother had to decide what instrument he wanted to play. So I spent a lot of time thinking about it and contemplating it. It it reminds me of what my son went through when he was deciding what his dissertation topic should be when he got his PhD. You know, it sets the course of your life. So how I wanted to develop this ability set the course of my life. And I decided I didn't want to talk to dead relatives, that that wasn't what I wanted. I wanted to communicate with the teachers, the masters, the beings who knew more than I did and who knew more than my relatives. I wanted to understand the bigger questions and the philosophy of life. And so I set my focus on aspiring to this more refined, more light-filled, more wise level. 
Are those your guides? Yes, they are. Yeah. And so I, I called my meditation class philosophy in meditation because one of my guides said to me that the philosophy we hold is the foundation of the life we build. Makes sense. Yes. So how do you access your guides? Do they come to you? Do you reach out to them? Do you chat on a regular basis? Well, when I first got an awakening with my mother, I was trained for 10 years by them. And it was a, it was constant. I was in constant communication with them about all kinds of things, philosophical things, but even insight into how to raise my children, the most practical and the most profound. And, and then when I started teaching, which started in 1984, I had a guide that would come with me and co-teach the class. So it was very, um, it was very much my life. And I think I got spoiled. I loved it. And, um, and now I'm in a phase where I don't have connection constantly. It's intermittent. And when I started writing books, I said to my guides, hey, why don't you just tell me the words and I'll type them? And they said, no, this has to be from you. And so I've been spending time learning to write. I've been spending time learning to put into my words what I've learned from them through years of study. That's pretty interesting to think that. I mean, I think you were very special for a long time to have that constant interaction. But it, it sounds like it taught you a lot. It taught me a lot. But you see, it was kind of like training wheels. <laughs> and in some ways, I didn't know how hard life could be because I had this inside track. And then they left me for a while and I went, oh, now I get it. This is hard work. <laughs> you graduated. You had to go on to upper school. That's right. So let me ask you a question. This is something, reincarnation is something I've always, it's been a mystery of life for me. I mean, I wonder, you know, if I'm a really good person, do I come back higher on the food chain? Do I come back, uh, you know, or if I'm a really bad person, do I come back as an animal or what are your thoughts on reincarnation? I see that we stay within our kingdom. That people can be, um, a person can incarnate as a male or a female or any race. I've been black and I've been Asian and I've been Native American. But I don't see that we become animals. I see that animals reincarnate, but they stay within the animal kingdom. So my dog had a past life as a lion my cat had a past life as an owl, but I don't see that 
that we become animals like they talk about it in India. It's been, it's, at least it's not been my experience. Um, every thought we think, every word we speak, every action that we take has a cause and effect. And karma means cause and effect. So we're constantly having, having that happen in daily life. But then through lifetimes, there's a bigger arc of that process. And yet it's complicated again. It's not like what I do in this life directly affects next life, although it influences it. Because, for example, my family of origin reunited from ancient Rome. So it took a while for all of the different members of the family to be available at the same time to all come together. So we were working through some traumas and fears from ancient Rome as a group. So, you know, it's, it's really interesting. I, I've had the ability to see my own and other people's past lives for decades and, and I love to see how the puzzle fits together. It's amazing how much our past life stories affect our present life. And it's not about punishment. It's about learning. It's about learning to actualize our spiritual nature, our good nature, which means learning to actualize spiritual principles, to be loving, to be wise, to be compassionate. And I believe what's happening in our country now with the pandemic and the economic crisis and just our political turmoil, we need a restructuring of priorities. And here is a time of immense suffering and crisis. But there's also an opportunity to learn from this and do things differently. And that's how reincarnation works also. That's interesting because I will say that this COVID-19 made me hit the pause button. And I needed to hit the pause button. And it has changed the way that just my approach to my daily life is. I don't get up at 4.45 in the morning anymore. Oh, and, wow. <laughs> yeah. And there's a big difference between 4.45 and 6, for sure. But, you know, I, I understand what you're saying by what did you learn from it? I mean, I look back at I was working way too much. Uh, I was just pushing the pushing the sword on both ends, and you know the culture in America is work hard. The harder you work, the better it is. And so I have really enjoyed my pause, and I've enjoyed learning, and I I intend to keep learning, and that's one of the reasons why you know talking with you today, it's kind of like personal growth for me. I don't have the capabilities. To at this point in time 
to be clairvoyant. And I don't know. Is that something that if you do, if you can get yourself, go through the attunement process, does everybody have those capabilities? Or is that something like you said, your brother had a musical gift and this was your gift. How does that work? Well, um, my book, The Infinite View, has elements to it that that help people learn how to develop their own sensitivities. But, you know, music is a really good analogy. Everyone can learn to play the piano, but not everyone will be a concert pianist. But it doesn't mean that you can't learn enough to enjoy music or enjoy singing or playing with friends. The point is that, that some of us have an aptitude for a certain talent and that aptitude always comes from past life history. My brother had a lot of lives in the past where he was a musician, so it came easily. My son had a lot of lives in China, so learning Mandarin wasn't hard for him compared to how it would be for me. So we have certain propensities linked to our past life developments, but we can all learn. And the work we put in this time carries over. So you mentioned the book, The Infinite View, and we've just got a couple of minutes left. So what's the one walk away from the takeaway from that book for people? Um, that life is more than it appears. It's the infinite perspective that we are not finite beings and that there's so much to life and that we can go deep within ourselves. The word education in Latin means to draw out from. And there's so much that can be learned through not just analytical thinking, but through attunement with this essential life source. So if if people wanted to to get the book, is it on Amazon or do they need to go to your website, ellentadtadd.com? How would they do that? It is definitely on Amazon. Uh, I was fortunate to have it published by Penguin Random House. So it's also available in bookstores as well as Amazon. And, um, and yeah, and, and I'm, I'd love to hear feedback. Well, I know, too, that you talked about you teach some beginning classes. If people were interested in those classes, they could just go to your website, ellentad.com, and learn well, more. Well, right now I'm not teaching because I'm focused on um, being home. And also I'm focused on finishing my next book, A Framework for Wise Education. Well, then that just gives us all something to look forward to. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Ellen, for being with me today and, and just being so open and honest and, and sharing your perspective because it certainly, I think we could all, if we can just get more attuned to ourselves, we can live life on a higher level. And that's, I don't know anybody that doesn't have that goal or want that for themselves. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be with you.
behalf of Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, Toginet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify,